Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? I can see your smiling faces. Oh, that's probably too soon. Uh, no, just grateful for you being here with us this morning, whether you're right here in the sanctuary or you're watching online. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, our lead pastor, Paul. He's away for the next couple of Sundays, and so it's my privilege to go to God's Word with you and for you. And particularly in a, in a pretty crazy, chaotic time, um, it's so important and, and such a wonderful gift for us to be together and to hear from God's Word together. And uh, how's, two tw- how's 2020 going for you so far? Is it going okay? Um, it has been crazy, right? I was actually listening to Pastor Josh preach to our East Congregation last Sunday, and he found a quote, and I'm not sure where he got it from, um, but I thought I would read it to you because I thought it just captured really well what we've been experiencing. So it says this, it says, 2020 started off like 1974 with a presidential impeachment crisis, and then it quickly became 1918 with a pandemic, and then it turned into 1929 with an economic crash, and now it's 1968 with massive racial, ethnic, and political unrest. That about covers it. And of course, that doesn't even include things like the Saharan dust that's like traveling across the globe. Like, I, it's messing with our sinuses. I don't understand that. We've got the hurricane season upon us. I mean, it's just one thing after the other. And uh, Tiffany Stewart, who's right over there, she said this. She's like, can someone just finish their Jumanji game? Like, it just, you just feel that way. It's like, we're going to have a herd of zebras running by here pretty soon. Um, you just feel like, I just got to laugh a little bit because it has been such a crazy year. And we're only halfway finished, which is even more crazy to think about. Um, but seriously, what are we to do? As Christians, how are we to live in the midst of chaos and confusion and pain and sorrow and suffering that just so characterizes this broken world that we live in? I kind of feel like, you know, I'm like a washing machine. You ever been in a washing machine? Well, I, I haven't either. But, but I can imagine it just be that sense of like you're just constantly swirling and trying to find some sort of like equilibrium, something to hold on to. That's what we need. And by God's grace, that's what we have. We are not without direction or without hope because we have God's word to give us stability, to give us hope in the midst of very challenging times. And, you know, this study of 1 Peter, if you're a guest with us, we've been going through this book now for about 10 weeks, and it has been such a gift. It's like every time we open up a second, another passage of scripture, it, it just speaks directly and personally to us. That's an amazing thing how the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts in such a way to say, yes, this is what I need for today. And uh, if you're not familiar with Peter, First uh, Peter, it has been written to the early church who has been dispersed from their homes. The apostle Peter uh, sends them word in the midst of oppression and financial hardship and discrimination and persecution. And, uh, and he starts right out of the gate in chapter one and then on into chapter two by reminding the Christians who they are. He says, you are aliens, you're strangers, you're sojourners, you're exiles. In other words, this is not your home. You are simply traveling through. You are citizens of another kingdom. And this kingdom is is not one that grows through political power or fame or, or capitalizing on fear. This kingdom grows through weakness. It grows through Humility, it grows through kindness and gentleness. It grows through, as we've been learning the last few weeks, submission. And most importantly, it grows through our hope in the gospel. And the fact that our King Jesus, he not only died, but he rose again and he is reigning on high. That's what we call the upside down kingdom. 
And if you guys are Stranger Things fans, it's not that upside down. But, uh, but it does feel that sort of way where it's a whole different sort of way of experiencing life. It's a different way to see, a different way to live, a different way to love, a different way to understand. And to the world, being a part of this upside-down kingdom that we're called to, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the world says and teaches us we should assert our rights rather than give them up. That we should take what we can and grab hold of it as much as possible rather than release and share with others. To think of ourselves first rather than last. But to those of us who have been loved and accepted and welcomed in to the kingdom by our King Jesus, this makes complete sense. You see, Jesus, he gave up everything to give us everything. And we are called to do the same. So the last few weeks, um, the Apostle Peter, he's been giving instructions to Christians about how to follow our king and live in this upside-down kingdom in the midst of uh, our, our, in relationship to our government, in relationship to our jobs, and in a relationship as husband and wives in our marriages. But today, Peter wants us to, get, to give us some instructions on how we're to live with one another as the church, and then also how to relate to the world, particularly those who are hostile to Christianity. And so today's sermon is entitled Living in the Upside-Down Kingdom, and we're going to cover three things. First, we're going to talk about who we are, that we are a kingdom community called to pursue unity and love. And then we're also going to talk about what we are to do, that we are to have a kingdom witness, to speak and do good. And then last but not least, we're going to talk about why we are to live this way, that we have a kingdom hope that in the end, Jesus wins. And so those are our three points this morning, kingdom community, kingdom witness, and kingdom hope. Before we jump into God's word, let's just ask that God would bind our hearts together uh, as we hear from him. Oh God, we just want to confess to you that, that in the midst of turbulence and chaos all around us, it is hard for us to just slow down and listen, to be present with you and to be present with one another. And I pray, though, that you would help us right here, right now, to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear, to give us hearts that understand and want to apply your word, and specifically what it means to live in this upside-down kingdom. Would you help us, Father? Would you help us, Jesus? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, so who are we? We are a kingdom community who pursue unity and love. And that's based on verse 8 of this passage. Peter starts out and he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, a sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. First, I love the fact that Peter says, finally, and then he starts talking for another three chapters. So if I go a little long today, just give me a little slack, all right? But, uh, but then he says, all of you. He says, finally, all of you. And this is a good reminder to us that whenever we read a passage of Scripture, it's not just written to us individually. It's also written to us as a group of people. We are together to receive God's word as a kingdom community. Peter, remember, in chapter 2, he calls the church, he calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, a kingdom under the reign of King Jesus. And as this kingdom community, Peter is commending us to five characteristics right here in verse 8. But I think they can be summarized really by two words, unity and love. 
says, have unity of mind and a humble mind relating to unity, and then have sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and those could all be summarized by love. So let's start first. As members of the upside-down kingdom, what does it mean to pursue unity, have unity of mind? Well, this unity pollutes the air that we breathe, doesn't it? It is, it is countercultural for us. It's a part of an upside-down kingdom for us to pursue unity in the midst of all sorts of disunity that's around us. I mean, we're just constantly seeing division and striving and, and fighting in our world. There's just this sense of us versus them mentality. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It could be political party. It could be race or ethnicity. It could be socioeconomic status. It could be our, our views of education. It could be our views of whether to open up the economy versus to protect people from COVID-19. It doesn't matter what it is. There is no middle ground. There's no desire to understand where where someone else is coming from. It's a simply us versus them mentality. I'm right and you're wrong. And oftentimes this poison begins to infect the church. And Peter says, that's not to be the way that we are to operate as members of the body of Christ. And I think it, though, it can be t- particularly tempting for us to give in to disunity and division whenever we are under stress and hardship, right? I mean, I, I don't know about for you, but I always have this sort of like low-level <laughs> stress and anxiety and fear and frustration just because I'm living in a broken world. But then when it's really hard, when, when struggles really ramp up, boy, I can just be so quick to fight, so quick to put up my dukes rather than to relent. And uh, Peter says, no, I want you to remind you, you are a kingdom community. You are a group of people to be committed to unity. And that unity is under the reign of King Jesus. What unites us under Christ should be more than what divides us. The Apostle Paul, he says that Jesus came to be our peace, that he came to break down the walls of hostility so that there's no longer Slave or free or Jew or Greek or male or female or black or white. We are all one in the body of Christ. That's what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring unity. And we are to exemplify that. But if you're like me, that's hard, right? It's so easy for us to, to give in to frustration and, and division. And that's why Peter reminds us, though, the way that we are to pursue this unity is through a humble mind. A humble mind says, I could be wrong. A humble mind says, let me try to understand where you're coming from. What's your perspective on this? Let me hear your story. A humble mind doesn't assume. It asks questions. A humble mind admits, I am broken And I don't have everything put together. There's only one who truly has everything put together, and I'm not him. His name is Jesus. Now, unity does not mean uniformity, but in humility, we are to say, I'm committed to the most important issues, gospel issues, kingdom issues. That's what unites us. In those areas that we have disagreement or struggle, my commitment in humility is to ask you questions and to draw you out and to seek to understand where you're coming from and to seek as much as possible to relate to you in kindness. Our commitment as a kingdom community is not to be right. 
but to be in a right relationship with one another, to lay down our preferences and even sometimes our rights for the sake of unity. I was thinking about this um, uh, and how this was displayed a couple years ago. A couple of sisters in Christ right here at Four Oaks were, were having disagreement. They were, they were struggling to get along, and they knew they needed uh, to reach out. And so they actually reached out to me and said, would you mind just meeting with us? And at first it was hard uh, as they were sharing their perspectives on things, but, but it was really sweet that over time they began to confess their sin. They began to confess um, their, what, where they were coming from and how it was impacting their uh, relationship with one another. And the Spirit of God began to work. And it was so sweet for them to put their differences aside and to pursue unity. And that's what Jesus calls us to do if we're a part of his upside-down kingdom. And so I want to encourage you, if you have bitterness in your heart towards someone else in the body of Christ, don't hold on to it. I encourage you to go make it right. And if you need a brother or sister to help you out, by all means, do it. Pursue unity. Peter didn't just commend members of this upside-down kingdom to pursue unity, but also to pursue love. You know, it's one thing to kind of sort of get along with one another, but maybe keep things at arm's length. But it's a whole other thing to actually pursue loving one another. And that's what these three words have to do with. It says, have sympathy, have brotherly love, and have a tender heart. Sympathy comes from the word sympathes, which means to suffer with. It's a feeling sort of word. And the idea here is that when you see someone suffering, you are drawn to them. When you see someone who has experienced tragedy, you don't just feel the the brokenness of the tragedy. You also feel the brokenness that is in someone's heart that's been experiencing this tragedy. It's It's a desire to suffer with someone. If one suffers We all suffer as the body of Christ. I'm broken because you're broken. When you weep, I taste the salt. That's what it means to be sympathetic in our love. But not only that, we're to have a brotherly sort of love, a family love. We're to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you guys know this, if you're part of a family, right? You're just like, I'm with you no matter what. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you, even if I have disagreement, I'm willing to work through those disagreements because I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Um, Tim Keller, he says that when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should see them as having Christ in residence. What he means by that is that Jesus lives inside of them. Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them to bring them into a forever family. And so we should see Jesus in them and as a result, love them because Jesus loves them. And Jesus died to bring us into a forever family. You guys might not be wanting to get along right now, but We're going to be with one another forever. So I would encourage you, love one another the way that Jesus loves you. And last but not least, Jesus, or excuse me, Peter says to have a tender heart. Uh, It could also be translated to have pity or to be compassionate. And the idea here is that this tenderheartedness comes from the depths of your soul. It actually means uh, literally from the bowels. It's just in your gut. You just have this like, oh, sort of 
compassion for somebody else. It's like when Jesus looked out with, to the people without a, he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. It says that he had compassion on them. He saw them as being in need and he pursued them to meet that need. This is when somebody's in the fire and you jump into the fire to help them out. And this tenderheartedness, it's, it, it's a softness though. It's a, it's a gentleness it breaks down that harshness and that hardness of the world that we live in and instead pursues kindness, pursues a compassion that says, I'm with you. That is the type of love that Peter commends to us to pursue. I want to encourage you. Um, I was watch, I've been watching, uh, if you guys haven't seen these, they're the stories on the stories page that Pastor Joe and his team have put together. It's about 15 or so stories of, of people over the last few months who have experienced hardship and difficulty, and whether it's a health issue or it's a, it's a lost job or it's a tree falling on a house because of the tornado that came through here uh, about a month ago. Whatever it was, the, the, the cool thing was is not only people sharing their stories, but the common denominator across these stories was, in the midst of all of this pain and sorrow, I experienced the love of God. Not only personally from him, vertically, but also from brothers and sisters in Christ. I would hear story after story of, oh, my community group brought me meals, or my community group came and helped me. Uh, my friends, they came and walked alongside of me. And I just want to encourage you and commend you. Like, thank you, Four Oaks, for showing that sort of love. And Jesus would say, keep doing it keep doing it all the more. And this fulfills his prayers for us about the upside down kingdom. If you think back to the night that Jesus was betrayed, that night he prayed, he said, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. So he prayed for unity. And earlier in John 13, he says, disciples, they're going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. So Jesus prayed and commissioned his church to be about unity and to be about love. And that this would not only be a blessing to us, but also be a picture of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And that leads us to point two. What are we to do? We are to have a kingdom witness to speak and do good. Verses 9 through 17. I wish I could cover these in depth, but, but the, uh, the, the, old, the overall picture of these verses is, um, is the fact that we are to speak and do good. The word good is used six times. The word bless or blessing is used another four. And Peter wants to remind those who follow King Jesus that they are to speak good words and to do good works. Now, that may not sound too hard, but you have to remember the context here. This is in the midst of suffering. And, and Peter is specifically talking about those who are unkind to us, not those who are kind to us. Look at verse 9. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, Bless. Verses 15 through 17, again, in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, or in other words, honor him as your king. Put him in authority, you know, follow his authority. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. John Piper says this, he says that we are to bless those who bruise us. To bless means to desire good for the other person. So we don't just absorb the blow or turn the other cheek. We actually, in response, show kindness and goodness 
I mean, this is totally against our nature, though, right? I mean, we were born retaliators. You don't have to teach your kids to fight. We're just born to fight. It's just innate within us. And that's why Peter and, and Jesus, they say, you must be born again. You've got to have a new perspective. You have to have a new way of living. When you experience injustice, you're tempted to take things into your own hands. And Peter, Peter and, and Jesus as well, he says, no, I want you to bless. I want you to speak and do good. Sometimes uh, we lead out with good words. Other times we lead out with good works. These things go hand in hand. But all of this is to show that we follow a king who loves rather than hates, who speaks blessing rather than reviling, who forgives his enemies rather than hates them and condemns them, a king who laid down his life for these enemies to become his friends. We follow King Jesus in this kingdom witness. And the, the thing about it that's really important for us to remember is that it's a collective witness. It's a corporate witness. And so the more good words and good works that we all are doing together, the more we display who Jesus is and what he's done for this lost and dying world. And Peter says that when we do this, we will obtain a blessing. Verse 9, on in verse 14, it says that even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And what does he mean by being blessed? Um, commentators kind of disagree on what this blessing is. Uh, some people say the blessing is, is this present sort of blessing where we get to commune with Christ as we're walking through hard times and we're experiencing suffering and there's this sense of like, I'm not alone, Jesus is with me. And um, verse 10, it says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. And so some people think that, that this present reward is also that we experience a long life that we have many good days as we pursue goodness towards others. And certainly that's a possibility. Other people say that it's the blessing of a future reward. That even when we're reviled, even when people speak ill against us, that Jesus speaks a better word to us. And that in the end, when we see him face to face, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Other people say the blessing that we receive is, is really a blessing to be given to someone else. The reward is for somebody else to experience the blessing. Like it says in verse 15, that when we speak good words and do good works, it says in verse 15, it says, or 16, it says, when we do this with gentleness and respect and we have a good conscience, so that when we are slandered, those who revile our good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And, and for some of those people who are put to shame, that, that's, not a, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. It shames them in such a way that it leads them to see, I, I need help. I've got a hard heart. I need that kindness the way that you have. I want to be good the way that you are good. And it compels them to want to seek Christ, to know Christ the way that we seek and know him. So which is it, Pastor Scott? Which of these blessings is it? I would say it's, it's really all three. And I think you can hear this captured in another passage of Scripture, and Peter might even have this in mind. When Jesus spoke the Beatitudes, we, we looked at this um, section of Scripture a couple years ago um, where Jesus just over and over again says, Blessed are you, or this is a life of flourishing. You will flourish 
as you pursue these things. And just listen to the way he says it. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on the hill that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you hear that? The life of blessing that Christ calls us to, that he commends us to, it comes by way of an upside-down kingdom that you seek good for those who seek your harm. And when you do, people begin to ask questions. You have a kingdom witness. And so let me just ask you this question. Do you live in such a way that your words and your works cause people to begin to ask questions? It it creates confusion. Uh, It it creates being captivated. They're captivated by you because you're just responding so different than they would expect you to. I want to encourage you, Four Oaks, use your words, use your works, use your influence, use your lives to be a blessing to people when they don't deserve it, especially when they don't deserve it. And I think in regards to this, we have a lot to learn from our black brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, last week was the fifth year anniversary of the Emmanuel Nine. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. Um, there's actually a, a documentary about it that came out last year uh, called Emmanuel. And it uh, commemorates a time on June 17, 2015, when a man by the name of Dylan Roof a young white man attended the Wednesday evening Bible study at the predominantly black Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And he walked into a room, and uh, for an hour he listened to a Bible study. And while the people were praying at the end, he pulled out a concealed weapon and killed nine African Americans as they prayed, including a woman by the name of Myra Thompson, who was the wife of Pastor Anthony Thompson. And as you can imagine, I mean, Myra's murder just absolutely devastated him. But at the bond hearing with Dylan, watching by video, Anthony sensed God stirring within his heart to say something. In fact, he said it it, it felt like audible words. Anthony, get up. I have something to say. Anthony didn't want to speak. He didn't want to get up. But in response to King Jesus, he stood up and he looked at Dylan on the video. He spoke to his wife's murder and he said this, I forgive you. And I'm asking that you would also ask for forgiveness and repent, that you would turn your life to Jesus, give your life to the one who matters most, to Christ, so that he can change your life and give you healing and forgiveness. And many people said to Anthony, you were too quick to forgive. You were too quick to show kindness and goodness to him. You shouldn't have done that. But Anthony said, this is the pathway of my king. There was another woman who was also impacted by this incident. Her name was Polly Shepard. She was actually in the same room as Anthony's wife in that Bible study. There were 12 of them in in all. 
And uh, when bullets were flying all around the room, she hid under a table, praying over and over again, Psalm 46.1, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And then she begins to see Dylan's boots move towards her. And expecting this to be the end, she looks up at him and she said, we're not trying to hurt you. You don't have to do this. And then Dylan asked, him, asked her a question. He said, are you shot? She said, no. She said, and he said, I'm not going to shoot you because I want you to tell the story. Now, his desire was to create race riots, to create divisiveness, to create hatred. But Polly decided to tell a different story. She said, I don't, I don't hate him. I felt sorry for him, and I have forgiven him. She said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Christ died to release me from the burden of sin, and so walking with hate and racism and bitterness goes against the gospel that I believe in. And the beautiful thing is that Anthony Thompson and Polly Shepard for the last five years have been telling the story of the gospel in Charleston, South Carolina, a place where over a quarter of the slaves were brought to the port is now beginning to change. In fact, the city is coming together across denominations, across races for the purpose of reconciliation. That is a kingdom witness that we are called to. Four Oaks, may we live in that way. Last but not least, why? Why? Why why should we live in this way? When we're tempted to put up our dukes and fight Rather than show kindness and goodness, why? Well, it's because of this. We have a kingdom hope that Jesus wins in the end. This last paragraph, it's a little bit confusing. If you've read ahead and you've read it before coming into today, especially verse 19. In fact, um, verse 19, uh, there was a guy named Millard Erickson. He tracked down all the different explanations of this paragraph, and he found that there were 180 So in the next five minutes, I'm going to solve it for you. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Um, uh, We're not going to clear it up for you in that five minutes, but but I do want to actually give you a big picture view, and then we will talk about some key views of what it means when it says that the Spirit of Christ preached to spirits in prison in the days of Noah. What in the world does that mean? But let's not lose, uh, lose the forest for the trees, okay? Because Peter wants us to be encouraged He's giving us this last paragraph as a means of giving us a kingdom hope. And that hope is Jesus. He starts out and he says, I want you to remember that Jesus died for your sins to bring you to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. But I also want you to have hope that he did not assert his rights, but he gave up his rights to serve you. But he didn't stay dead. He conquered death. He was raised, and in the Spirit, he preached. And now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he rules and reigns over all. That is a kingdom hope that is sure, and I want you to hold on to that, especially in this broken, awful world that we live in. See, Peter reminds them of the cross, and that's very important about what Jesus did for us. But he also wants to remind us that that's not where Jesus stayed. Jesus is exalted. 
Jesus is high and lifted up. Jesus reigns over all. And he provides us a pathway in this upside-down kingdom that when we fulfill the call to suffer and even to die for our faith, that's not the end of the story. We have a kingdom hope that just as Jesus was raised, we will be raised. We have a kingdom hope that just as Jesus ascended to the heavens, we will ascend and we will reign with him. It's a beautiful thing at the end here. It says, Peter said, he's at the right hand of God with all angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What's really interesting is that Jesus flips it on its head. Over and over again, we've been talking about being subject or submitting yourselves, just as Christ submitted himself to authorities. It's hard to submit. But then it says at the very end, but in the end, all things will be subjected to Jesus. All things will be submitted to his authority. And we're to follow this pathway because in the upside-down kingdom, everything is flipped around. Where we're made low, we are then exalted. When we suffer, we are given healing and hope. And when we die, we are raised to be with Jesus forever. That is a kingdom hope that we can hold on to. Now, what in the world does verse 19 have to do with all of that? What does it mean when it says that Christ preached in the Spirit to the imprisoned spirits? Let me just give you three kind of prevailing views. One view is that when Noah was building the ark, um, the Spirit of Christ actually preached through Noah to unbelievers who were on the earth, but who are now spirits in prison. So that's one view. Uh, A second view is that after Christ died, he went in his spirit to the place of the dead, to Hades. And he proclaimed to people who had rejected him during the time of Noah that he triumphed over death and that their judgment was final. That's the second view. A third view is that after Christ died and he rose again, as he ascended to heaven, he actually proclaimed his triumph over death and over all rulers and authorities to fallen angelic spirits who had led people astray during the time of Noah. So which one is it, Scott? I don't know. But whichever view you take, and, and there's, there's people on all of these different uh, perspectives, the main point that Peter wants to remind us is that Jesus reigns. And he also wants to remind us that this pathway towards the upside-down kingdom, it's always been the pathway of followers of this king, including Noah. You see, Noah was very familiar with feeling like he was all alone. I mean, it was a family of eight, all by themselves. And for for a hundred years, roughly, he built an ark. And he proclaimed the kingdom coming And the judgment that was coming to those who were not following after the Lord. He experienced and suffered lots of ridicule for many years, but he persevered because he had a kingdom hope. And in the end, he was saved. He was saved from the waters of judgment by the ark. And Peter wants us to, he wants to recall this to mind for us as believers to say, Just as Noah trusted in the ark to deliver him from the waters of judgment, so you have an ark. And his name is Jesus. Jesus experienced the suffering. He experienced the judgment of God on your behalf. And you can hide yourselves in Christ. 
He absorbs the blows so that you don't have to. And in the end, even when, when enemies are, are treating you awfully, you can trust that in the end, Jesus wins. That even when friends fail you and foes assail you, Jesus is the king. That he rules and reigns over all, and he will bring you safely into his kingdom forever. What a, what a kingdom hope we have. And last but not least, Peter says, and your baptism corresponds to this. And he says, it's not the, not the washing of the water, but it is an appeal to God. It's a trusting in God. And you could think about this picture when you see a baptism, that when you go through the waters of baptism, you can picture someone who is trusting in Christ as their ark as someone who has gone through the waters of judgment to spare you and me from that judgment so that we'll be safely brought to the other side. We'll be able to reign with him forever and ever and ever and ever. That is a kingdom hope for us. And so, Four Oaks, may we be a kingdom community that pursues this sort of unity and love for one another. May we be ones who have a kingdom witness speaking and doing good wherever we have opportunity because we have a kingdom hope that in the end, Jesus wins and we will win too. Amen? Let's pray.